What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. This thing has dumpster fire written all over it. Now their fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Thanks for the hot take, Ooh. Andrew. You should have your own show. Welcome to episode 132 of the South of Sandy podcast. I'm your host, always Andrew Zimmel. Listen, it's been a little bit of time, right? The last time we uploaded a podcast episode was right after the World Series, or it was right around that time in October. And, you know, we took a little bit of a high days. Uh, I will be completely honest with you guys. It was, uh, it was a frustrating time because, you know, we put this podcast out. You've noticed that we haven't sold any ads on it. We haven't done anything else like that. So the ad royals at the beginning and the end of podcasts, we don't see any of that revenue. Nothing's ever there. Uh, we have one ad that plays on AM 1300 The Zone over the airwaves, the broadcast waves. Uh, that plays... Every single time I'm in there at 4 a.m. Never hear it during the day. I tune in different times. I never hear it. So it kind of feels like a filler that they put in there uh, at certain times in the morning. Nobody really is awake, right? So we never saw our growth. We never saw anything happening with this. I went on our website. We're not listed on the podcast page on the AM 1300 Zone website, even though we've put out 130-something episodes. So you could see where I was starting to have a little bit of frustration. Then, you know, the, just the weight of school and all this other stuff. I put out a ton of podcasts over the summer. It was getting to be a burnout. You know, you burn your candle at both ends. At some point, there's no candle left. And I was starting to feel more and more like the heat was on. So I took a little bit of time off. Uh, I kind of rejuvenated. In the time that I was off, though, a lot of big things happened, right? I feel like I was like OJ when he was in jail. Like a lot of big monumental sports moments happened and I wasn't here to talk to you guys about it. So I did feel bad about that. I did feel like there wasn't enough. Uh, I didn't have an outlet, didn't have a creative spot to put it. Uh, didn't do a whole lot of writing either, which was kind of frustrating too. So I was kind of, I made a joke to one of my friends. I said I was uh, content constipated, right? I had a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts, wanted a lot of opinions I wanted to share, nowhere to put them. Okay, and that was kind of my fault, you know, so that's that's on me. It's self-inflicted. So I did want to touch on a couple big things that were happening uh, over time, of course. College football playoffs, we have uh, LSU as the one, Ohio State, uh, Clemson, and Oklahoma. Okay, so that's pretty big deal, seeing that those were kind of the teams that we kind of kicked around the bucket earlier in the season. I don't think anybody knew LSU was going to be this good. I don't think anybody knew Joe Burrow was going to be this good. If you would have told me, after that Texas game in the beginning of the year, that this was the Heisman winner, uh, I don't know if I'd believe it. But he had a tremendous season. It was the largest uh, gap between the one and the two ever, I think, in Heisman voting, or at least in the last 20 or 20 years, uh, biggest gap in Heisman voting, which is a really big deal. Because Joe Burrow, 
without a doubt, one of the better stories of the year. What we're going to talk about in this podcast, though, is the stories of the decade that I really liked. I ranked about three uh, in each of these categories of like big sports stories, big athletes, big moments that I really enjoyed. So we're going to get into all that. But first, I want to give my college football playoff predictions because we're putting this podcast out Friday afternoon uh, for you guys on Saturday morning, whenever you want to listen to it on the treadmill, uh, going on your way to some fun thing with your family over this winter break. I wanted to get this out here for you. So, the matchups. LSU-Oklahoma. I This is a game that I think really could go one of two ways, right? I think that if LSU shows up early, puts about two touchdowns on the board quick, and Oklahoma trails by any more than 12 points in this game, I think LSU can extend the lead. Joe Brady has been an excellent play caller uh, for the Tigers this year. Joe Burrow has not made a ton of mistakes, and I don't think that Oklahoma defense is good enough to force Joe's hand. And that's saying a lot because that they were the best defense in the Big 12 at some points. Some weeks they had the best defense, I thought. So this is just another testament to, A, the level, the difference of athletes and the difference of style between the SEC and the Big 12, which is interesting because a lot of the Big 12 concepts, the spread offense, up-tempo stuff, has really translated to the SEC. So I like LSU in this game. I like Joe Burrow to win the Heisman, or he won the Heisman. I like him to win uh, the college football playoff MVP as well. I think that he's going to be the most valuable player for any of these teams going forward. Now here's the thing about Clemson and Ohio State. I think that Clemson is looking a lot more like that 2014 Florida State team, the one that made the playoffs and got slammed by Oregon. I feel like this could be the type of thing that happens to this team, and I'm going to tell you why. Trevor Lawrence has not been himself. He wasn't himself the first half of the season. Dabo Sweeney has been saying this entire year, nobody believes in us because nobody does. Because the ACC was so weak this year. You can see it in the example of Miami being the first Power 5 team shut out by a Group of 5 team. The ACC was so weak this year that I don't really know how good Clemson is. And I have said this before. and I don't want to bring up this Rocky reference too often, but i got to bring it up here. In Rocky 3, for all you cinema buffs out there, Rocky 3, he doesn't fight anybody. Rocky doesn't fight anybody until he gets to Mr. T. Mr. T knocks him out, okay? Then in the rematch, he, he gets Mr. T. But in the first fight, it's just over. Clobber Lang smashes him. And it's because at that point, Rocky hadn't been playing anybody. He hadn't been fighting anybody. All the competition they put up there were kind of straw men for him. Easy up, easy down. And that's how Clemson has been this entire season. Easy ups, easy downs. And at some point, that catches up to you because you can't show up week after week after week and just slam your opponent. And I want to put this out here, too, for some of you. We thought that they would be winning by record margins this year because they had Trevor Lawrence and they had a lot of that offensive returners. And that wasn't really the case. There's a lot of games that you would turn on on Sunday morning because nobody really watches the ACC, I don't think. I'm convinced that the ACC and the Pac-12, nobody's really watching those games. You turn on the games a couple times, and the Clemson score is like 24-14 or 32-7, you know, right? Games that, you know, they won handily, but we thought that they'd be putting up a lot more points this year. And I think that this Ohio State team, they got a chip on their shoulder, A, and I'm not, a lot of people have been saying, oh, they have the chip on the shoulder because Urban Meyer got kicked out. No, they got a chip on their shoulder because they think they're the best team in the country. And Chase Young might be the best player in the country if we're talking about just pure athleticism. Especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think he's hands down the best defensive player in college football this season. So you got a team in the Buckeyes who are hungry. 
They want to prove that they should be the number one seed. They want to prove to, I think, everybody that this Big Ten isn't a fluke, that them running this conference year after year after year should be having people on the same notice as people had Alabama, the same way people have Clemson on notice. Right, like okay, we can pencil Ohio State into the college football playoffs. I think that's what the Buckeye fans, I think that's what the Buckeye team wants at this point. So Clemson comes in, weak schedule. I don't think a very strong quarterback, and they're playing one of the better defenses and one of the better teams in the country. And this is why I think that Ohio State, if they jump out to an early lead, is just gonna take control of the game this entire way. And this could be the game that we had last year, where the Clemson-Notre Dame game, where Clemson jumped out early, and Notre Dame got smacked in the mouth, and they never were able to get back off, off the mat. And I think that Ohio State could be that team, smacks him in the mouth, and that's it. We, we don't see uh, much of Trevor Lawrence, we don't see much of Clemson for the rest of the playoffs. Okay, now we get to this LSU-Ohio State matchup. And this is where it gets interesting, because this my friends, is the game that we've been waiting for. I thought it was going to be the LSU-Alabama game, and it was. It was a very exciting game in Tuscaloosa. I thought it might be the Ohio State-Michigan game, the game of the year, right? That didn't happen either. I think this is the game that, at the end of the season, we're going to say was the greatest game of the year. Uh, This is what's going to start off the new decade correctly, I think, ladies and gentlemen. I think that this is going to be the game that, for the next in the 2020s, we're going to be looking back to the, how fun the LSU Ohio State game is. Now, I'm going to try to get another podcast out before them, and hopefully, we can get more college football writers to come on and talk to us about what they think and what we're looking at uh, and all the different types of stuff. But I wanted to p- come out here real quick and say I got LSU Ohio State, the one versus the two. I, it's funny because Oklahoma usually is a team that's not very buttoned up. Jalen Hurts could be the Kawhi Leonard to Toronto where he changes the culture. We've said it all year. We talked to my boy, Joyce Stoya, uh, not so much on the podcast, but you know, communicating back and forth over Twitter and all that type of stuff. Uh, this team is very buttoned up. This team doesn't feel like the teams of the two years ago, three years ago, that kind of were more fun, that kind of were more exciting. The Baker Mayfield, the Kyler Murray, the Lincoln Rileys, those type of... Jalen feels like he's changed a lot of these guys, that he's been there before, he's been to the top of the mountain, and he knows how to get him back there. And this is going to be fun. I do have LSU winning that game, though. So we wanted to get the college football stuff out of the way first, and now we're going to do the end of the decade awards, okay? So the end of the decade. This decade, I thought, had a lot of good ups, a lot of big downs, right? The biggest ups, of course, uh, the advancements of women in sports. I think that that's one of the greatest things that's happened in this last decade. Uh, But to counter that, we have... The nice or the nicer stuff, the 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 assaults uh, on some of these young gymnasts, right? Some of the greatest ups. We got the the FIBA World Cup, and then we also have the corruption. We got the Philly special, but we also have Aaron Hernandez going to jail for murder, right? So this decade was very. I think they had a lot of the highs were high and the lows were low. This is the decade that we found out, I think, a little bit more about CTE. I think this is a decade that we looked a little bit more into the after effects of professional and collegiate and high school football and what type of damage long-term that the sport caused. I think we looked a lot more into the way that the NFL polices themselves, right? We have 
the Ray Rice incident where without the video, I don't think Ray gets put on the exempt list. I think that he's going to still be in the league. I think he still suits up at some point for some NFL team if that video doesn't come out. So it was good that the, the people were able to see and react to what was happening. Right? We have Colin Kaepernick who gets blackballed by the NFL for kneeling for justice. Okay? We have Antonio Brown, the situation that's going on right now. So the lows were low. But again, I say the highs could not have been higher. Right? We had Peyton Manning throwing 50 touchdowns, winning a second Super Bowl. We had the Philly Special, like I mentioned earlier, winning the city of Philadelphia title. And we're going to get into more of that in a second. But I, I just wanted to say that the, the ups were great and the valleys were low. And I think that's how we're going to remember the 2010s of sports. Is that if you want to look at the goods, you're, they're there for you. Okay, The peaks are there. There's plenty of them. But at the same time, I, I think that you can't have the good without the bad. So let's get into the moments of the decade. Number three, which is I think might be should might be a little bit higher. This is how good of a decade we had. Number three, the Cubs winning the World Series. Now you remember, they were down three one to the Cleveland Indians. Cleveland hadn't won a title to that point yet. LeBron hadn't hadn't brought the title back. So this team was this Indians team was supposed to be kind of the, the chosen team. This is the team that they, oh, I'm sorry, he did bring the title back. The, the Indians team hadn't won, uh, I think, a World Series in 50-something years. This team was supposed to be this, you know, historic team. Uh, they went through the AL pretty easily. The AL had a lot of good teams, not great teams, I think. I think that Red Sox team from a year ago, two years ago now, uh, I think that was one of the only really historically great American League teams, and then the rest of them have kind of come and gone, right? We didn't get a ton of back-to-back uh, recipients for the American League champion pennant, right? The Royals won the pennant two years in a row, and I think that the I don't think the Red Sox ever won it two years in a row. I know the Yankees didn't win a World Series this year, so again, ups and downs for a lot of these teams. But number three was the Cubs winning the World Series. They snapped the curse. Uh, the Billy Goat curse is over, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is you. What more can you say, right? Like the this is one of the historically baseball. Let's just go get into it. Baseball is a sport of numbers, sport of myth, sport of legend, sport of heroes and villains. And the Cubs were always the lovable losers, and they never were able to get on top. They got close in the last decade, but this decade, they there was ups and there was downs. I remember the beginning that they had Sterling Castro. Uh, he was a great player for him but that was about it okay and we didn't know what Anthony Rizzo and uh, Chris Bryant could be and then we had this playoff run where they kind of were able to change that they were able to shake off the ghost they're down 3-1 they come back they win in a game seven which was really long if you do a rewatch on it a really long game I I watched it uh two years ago three years ago now um so it was like, I think that summer after they won. And I was thinking like, oh, this is like a two hour, two and a half hour game, three hour game. No, it's like a six hour game. It's a long game. Um, but yeah, Cubs winning the World Series. That's my third deal. Number two, the Philly special. Because, and this is where the kind of the, you know, culture comes in, right? And I, I don't mean to offend any baseball fans, but this is just the facts of life. That Super Bowl wins, I think, for fan bases, I think for especially cities that have a baseball and a football and a basketball team, I think NFL titles matter 
more. I think that they hold greater weight. The winning a World Series is nice. I think winning a World Series is great. You get to have the championship parade, all that type of stuff. And the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup for the Na- or for DC. It was great. It was a lot of fun. The Nationals winning was fun. But I guarantee you that if the Redskins win a Super Bowl, that that place lights up like a powder keg. Okay? And the Philly Special not only beating the Evil Empire, not only beating the New England Patriots in it, having a backup quarterback in Nick Foles, who had an amazing story, a great story up to that point. Doug Peterson looks across the sideline and says, yeah, we're doing it. This is a trick play. We're, we're running it. Let's go. Nick Foles catching that touchdown pass. The Eagles finally winning a ring. I think they were the only team in the NFC East not to have a Super Bowl. They now have a Super Bowl. I think that that Super Bowl is going to go down. And then the Patriots have won a Super Bowl since then. But I think that Super Bowl goes down as the defining NFL moment from this decade. And which is incredible because just a year prior, the Patriots had that title going 20, they were down 20 to three in the Super Bowl to the Falcons. They come back and they win it. Okay. And we all thought like that would be the game of the decade. I think that this Philly special, I think that that is what people are going to remember about the last 10 years of the NFL, that this is the peak when football was its best was at this point when the Eagles were holding up the title, when Nick Foles, the backup quarterback, the career backup, the guy who teams passed on, the guy who thought he was going to retire from football because of Jeff Fisher, coming up big in a big moment. That is the peak of sports. I think that's the peak of the NFL. All right, now the number one, the number one moment of this decade is Game Six, or I'm sorry, Game Seven, of the 2016 NBA Finals, the LeBron James block. And I know that's on everybody's list, and I know that everybody's kind of hyping this up, and people who hate LeBron James. Uh, for the way he left, because at the beginning of the decade, he leaves Cleveland, goes to Miami, wins two rings, comes back to Cleveland. I think this is when we all were trying to start to love him again. I thought we, people thought they never could love LeBron again. You know, they were like a hurt, they're like a hurt girlfriend in high school. They never thought they'd love again. And then he comes back and he gets them to the, the chip again after they didn't go anywhere for the last four years. He gets them back to the NBA Finals. And Kyrie goes down, and Kevin Love was already hurt, and he still goes toe-to-toe with a team that we thought was really good in the Warriors, but we weren't sure how good they were. The next year, they win 73 games. They get up 3-1 on the Cavs. And we have to think back to the 2004 ALCS, where the Red Sox were down 3-1 to the Yankees. And they said, look, we just need to win with this next game. And then we got Pedro, and then we got Kurt Schillings, and anything happened in Game 7. And I think that's what LeBron did in the 2016 NBA Finals. He said, we just need to win game five, force a game six, and game six, it's back in Cleveland. Me and Kyrie, we can do what we do. And in game seven, anything can happen. That's a wild card. So if we can just get to a game seven, we're good to go. And that's what they did. And they have a rock fight with the Warriors, the team that was going up and down the court, scoring on every single team, a team that just a round prior had come back from 3-1 themselves. He comes in, and he's got the best defensive player of the decade. A chase down block. And again, I mentioned it earlier with the, the Patriots thinking, okay, this is the moment, this 28 to 3 comeback, this is the greatest game of the year. We thought the game six in 2013 with Ray Allen's shot, we thought that would be the defining moment of the decade. We thought this would be the defining legacy moment for LeBron James, which is funny because when we talk about the athletes, which we're going to get to in a minute, 
the legacy moments for LeBron this decade, I think, are more on course with Tom Brady than they are with Michael Jordan. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if you look at the Jordan decade, right, like he wins in 91, 92, 93, takes those two years off, 96, 97, 98, and he's got all these iconic finals moments in that time. I think for LeBron, he had as many or more of those iconic moments, and that's why I liken it to Tom Brady last decade, where he not only had the two Super Bowl ring wins early in the decade, but then he also has that historically great 2007 Patriots team. And now then he also has all of these other great accomplishments that didn't necessarily end up with him winning the title. But it was just, he was forever in the consciousness of the American public. He was just forever in the consciousness of the sports fan. And that's what LeBron did. For 10 years, for a whole decade, I don't think anybody thought about NBA basketball or thought about basketball at any level without thinking about LeBron James. And it starts with the decision, which was an off-the-court thing. It starts with the big celebration they had before they even won a game in Miami. And he goes from being this villain that people loathe, people despise. He goes to back to Cleveland in 2010 and gets batteries thrown at him. And that's, I think, what Brady did. I think that Brady went from being this guy that everybody liked at the beginning of the 2000s to being the leader, the person who's running the evil empire's offense, just going up and down with Randy Moss and Wes Walker and then those guys going up and down the field scoring on everybody. I think that we vilified him, and then at the end of the decade, we kind of didn't resent him as much. We, I think we accepted him a little bit more, and that's what LeBron did with that chase down block. Chased it down the block, and... Is the best defensive player we've seen on a basketball court in the last 20 years. So, those are my three moments. Cubs winning the World Series, the Philly Special, and then LeBron James block. I think those are really important. All right, let's go to athletes of the decade. So, number three, we have Johnny Manziel. And I know that that's a hot take. I know that people probably aren't going to love that, but let me tell you why. And the the flash, the panness of it, I think, is what people are going to have a problem with. That... A guy who didn't do a whole lot in the NFL, a guy that we only really had in college for two years, but in those two years, there's not another player who more people weren't watching, and part of that was the SEC, part of that was the fact that his best, his best game came against Alabama, the fact that he was a freshman, and that A&M, I think, is a regional school when you look at it nationally. I think that if you live in the state of Texas, if you live in Austin, you know College Station, of course. But if you live in Nebraska, if you live in Wisconsin, Wyoming, you don't care about some little ho-dunk town in Texas, in Bryan College Station. But he made you care. Because Johnny Manziel was the most fun player we had in college football this decade. And I, I challenge anybody to come up with another one. Because when Jameis was hot at Florida State, even Joe Burrow this season, Tua Tagovailoa at uh, Alabama these last two years, I don't think that there's another college football player who was more fun to watch, where every single play was boomer bust. Every single play that he was in the pocket was boomer bust. And the way that he was able to move, and that's why college football is so much fun, is because for every you know 10 out of 10 athlete you have, there's got to be a six out of ten athlete on the field and that six out of ten athlete is going to get exposed and I it, you just the superpowerness of Johnny football 
I think, for those two years. And how he captured, I think, college football fans' imagination. I think a lot of people thought at the NFL level it wouldn't work, and it didn't. But the only other guy that I could kind of even put in that conversation as just a guy that every single week was fun, Lamar Jackson at Louisville. But besides that, I don't think there's a guy that every single play I was like, oh, something big could happen right here. That this entire game could swing on a 7-yard run, a 10-yard run, a 15-yard run, or on just a throw down the field to Mike Evans. Okay, That team at College Station underachieved, clearly, with Kevin Sumlin. That team could have been one of the more fun college football teams to watch this decade. Uh, I think they severely underachieved when it comes to that on, on those like type of levels. But Johnny Football is my number three athlete of this decade. Number two, LeBron James. Okay, For all the me- or reasons previously mentioned, of course, uh, the Olympic medals, the eight straight finals trips, the uh, advancement of Akron, Ohio. He did everything that you want from an athlete, from a social activist. You, anything that you wanted from LeBron James, really on the court. You want rebounds? It's there. Points? Assists? You want him to be a good person. You want nothing to off-the-court stuff happen. Okay, the decision was the worst thing that happened to him. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast about the NFL where Aaron Hernandez and Ray Rice and all this other crap. Nothing like that with LeBron. And you can love the guy like I do or you can hate him. You can despise him like a lot of my friends do, a lot of people I know do. But there's one thing you can never say. He never had a Colorado He never had a drunk driving incident. He never had any of these other crazy stuff that these other superstars never had a gambling addiction that we know of. Nothing like that. And you can say all these type of things about all these other players, right? Like, oh, Kobe was a better scorer or Michael was a better winner or, you know, Larry Bird was a better passer. I don't think that's true, but you could say all these different things comparing LeBron to these great guys. But this decade, I think he cemented his legacy as if not the greatest, the 1B in basketball. And that's something that we never thought we would say, that a guy from Akron, Ohio, could become the premier athlete in the world. And that's something, And you know, he had all these God-given gifts. uh, But I think that a lot of people look at their situations, their upbringings, and they look at sports as an escape. So to see somebody like LeBron, who is a sing- had a single mother, who didn't know his dad, who came from nothing and was able to create this, you know, he is the American dream in that regard. So LeBron James is my number two athlete of this decade. Some, uh, Simone Bowles, or Biles, I'm sorry, Simone Biles. And I'm going to say that this is the number one athlete of this decade. Okay, better than LeBron, better than Russell Westbrook, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, better than all these guys. Because six-time national champion was part of the greatest Olympic gymnast team of all time for the United States. Right? And all those things I was talking about LeBron. How there was a winner and all this great stuff. Biles has never not been the best gymnast in the gym. Right? Like, you could say, like, with LeBron, oh, you know, Curry might be a little bit better. Durant outplayed him in this. She has always been the best player the best gymnast in the gym and the other thing is too that you can't I don't think you can separate and you you want to you want to separate the athlete from everything else but you can't being an assault survivor plays a lot into this I think for me at least to see not only the strength that she had in her competition not only to have the grace 
in the world stage, being, again, part of the greatest Olympic team of all time. But being an assault survivor, I think, plays a big part in that, for at least for me. And when we look at the 2000s, the 2010s, I should say, that means a lot. I, and I don't think we can value that enough of what she's done for young women everywhere. I think what, what she's done to advance uh, Olympic gymnast or gymnast, or, yeah, Olympic gymnastics. So going forward, that the 2020s are hers, her oyster. So I'm excited. Some of the athletes we left off, Serena Williams, clearly Tiger Woods had his great comeback. The rise and the fall of Tiger Woods was this decade. Aaron Rodgers, I think, uh, proved that he's the most talented quarterback, not the greatest win- greatest quarterback, the most talented quarterback to play the position. Uh, I think all those guys could have been mentioned too. Kevin Durant, clearly. Uh, there's a lot of guys that could have made this list. But my three, of course, Le- Johnny, LeBron, Biles. So now let's go into the big deals. So these are my three big takeaways from this decade. Okay, and you can disagree with these if you want, but I wanted to say the advancement of podcasts. Okay, last decade, you talk about in the 2000s, nobody had an iPhone. Nobody was listening to podcasts. They were barely listening to the radio. Okay, you you weren't turning to 17, 18, 19-year-old guys in their parents' basement breaking down YouTube clips of Luka Doncic. You weren't breaking down clips of Kevin Durant and how Kyrie Irving, when he goes to his left, isn't as good as when he goes to his right and the advanced metrics. But the advancement of podcasts, I think, created this culture, created this thing. And I don't only say that because I'm on a podcast right now. <laughs> but I will say that I think that the advancement podcast advanced analytics. I think it advanced blog, the blog sphere. I think it advanced uh, social media, which we're going to get into in a second. This is the best thing to happen to sports media in a long time, since about the quick writing printers, okay, or the fax machine, honestly, to get this uh, the scorecards out quicker. Podcasting, I think, has re-energized, revitalized, and reshaped the way that we think about sports and sports media. Because now, for every you know old guy writing for the newspaper or every talking head on television, there's about 17, 18, 19 podcasts that are building every single day. Now, you can get all of them on the iHeartRadio app, clearly, or Spotify or Apple Podcasts for this one. Uh... But I, I think the advancement of podcasting, especially in sports, has pushed the limits to what we can talk about and what we can say and what we can do when we look at sports. Social media, like I mentioned, that explosion. So I think Twitter really took off, for me at least, in 2011, 2012, shot up. 2013, we had the iconic uh, LeBron James, or 20, 2014, I should say, we had the iconic LeBron James cramp game, and everybody tagged Gatorade, and he said, hey, He's not part of us. We don't mess with uh, LeBron James over here because he's, of course, a powering athlete. Social media explosion. You turn to Twitter. You turn to Facebook. You turn to YouTube, uh, Instagram to get all your sports news. I know people who don't even watch ESPN anymore because they get all their highlights, all their stats, everything off Instagram, right? These 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. So social media explosion, I think that's another really big thing that we're going to take away from this last decade. And the last thing, of course, to me has to be the movement to video, where everything you do now, not so much this podcast, but the movement to video of where every single person needs to be a videographer. Every single person needs to be able to shoot highlights. Every single person needs to be able to break down film. Uh, if you want to get into sports media at this point and you don't know how to work uh, Final Cut or Premiere to edit film to make YouTube clips or anything like that, you're pretty much screwed, right? The old, the old guard's gone. This is the new thing. Video is going to be the new thing moving forward. So 
Those are my three big things to take away from this decade with sports and sports media and all the great stuff. So that's going to do it for the media, the sports part of the podcast. I want to get into one last thing uh, before I let you guys go because we haven't we haven't done this in a while. So I, I want to you know talk a little bit more. So Uncut Gems, Little Women. Okay, I saw both those movies this past weekend over the Christmas holiday. Uncut Gems we're going to start with because holy cow, the critics are very rarely, in my opinion, wrong, right? They very rarely get it completely and totally wrong. I was reading some of the reviews for this movie, and I don't know if it's because critics don't like Adam Sandler. I don't know if it's because Kevin Garnett, this was his first real picture. This was his first real movie. I don't know if they thought that they didn't didn't like the premise of the movie. It's kind of a gambling, kind of a degenerate type of movie. I'm not going to give any spoilers, okay? I'm really going to try to tiptoe around it. I just... If you haven't seen this movie and you are in the market to go see a movie, maybe you're not a big movie person, I would strongly suggest that if you've never sat in a movie theater for two and a half, three hours, and just been on pins and needles the entire time, that this is a movie for you. Because it, it hits a different chord. I think, and I have a lot of friends who are big media buffs, who are big uh, movie buffs, uh, they love they love going to the movies, right? And they continue to tell me that superhero movies are messing up your movie palette. That if it doesn't have CGI, if it doesn't have a big fight scene, the odds of you seeing it, Andrew, probably aren't going to be that great. So to push against that stereotype, I went to see Uncut Gems because I want my boy Adam Sandler to win an Oscar and I want to do everything in my power to make that occur for him. But the other thing was Kevin Garnett was in it. I'm a big Kevin Garnett fan. It, the premise of it is deals with this opal, this black opal uh, that comes over from Africa. Kevin Garnett has it. He wants it. Wants to buy it. Adam Sandler is a ge- de- uh, degenerate gambler. So there's that kind of uh, system going on, right? The, the entire time, you don't know if he's going to make the bets, if the bets are going to get in, uh, if he's going to be able to sell this thing. It's just a whole whole big mess. This is, When I left this movie theater, it felt like there was a release on me because how tense I was this entire time. I strongly suggest to go see this movie. Now, Little Women was a completely different movie. Little Women is an Oscar movie. It's got uh, uh, Sorcy Ronan in it, uh, who, if you haven't seen Lady Bird, she's in that. I like her in that. This movie, I never read the book. I'm not a big uh, old-timey literature guy. The Moby Dicks, the Great Expectations of the World, I don't really buy into that type of stuff. I, I like my media a little bit more current. Right? I like my movies that have happened in the last 10, 15, 20 years. I don't like to go watch 35, 45 uh, movies from that time. So to read a book that was written in the 1800s, I'm not really in that you know, demographic. So I went to see this movie. I had no idea what the book was about or anything like that. And I can tell you that for never reading the book, for not knowing what the plot was going in, this movie was great. It's a very important movie. I was reading a review before I went to see it, not talking about the plot, just talking about what was gonna, what, what critics were saying about it. Was the whole point was okay? In the past, Oscar movies who have won the Best Picture, because I think this movie is going to be a Best Picture nom. Movies in the past have kind of said that if male audience like it, the odds of it winning are greater. This movie does not have a lot of strong male leads in it. I'll be completely, the title should give it away for you, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. 
Little Women doesn't have a lot of male characters in it, period. So how do you keep the male viewer's attention? And as a person who is a guy, I love this entire movie. I thought this movie was great. It is a tie. It's a period piece. It's right around the Civil War. So if you're into that type of stuff, it's there for you. The acting in it is superb. Meryl Streep. You know Meryl Streep, of course. An idiot off the street knows Meryl Streep. You need to go see this movie, people. I love this movie. Love, love, love it. So that's going to do it. We were a little bit longer today than in weeks prior. Well, a little bit longer than weeks prior because there's nothing weeks prior. So we're going to put out more episodes as time goes on. I just wanted to kind of get back in the swing of things, wanted to get this out. Uh, so we did the moments of the decade. The next time I talk to you, we're probably going to be talking about the college football playoffs, probably going to be talking about the NFL a little bit more. I'm going to try to get some different guys to come on, do that for us. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. The last thing I'm going to say, I know we've taken a break, and I know you've really been looking for these podcasts, and I'm sorry for not putting them out, but you need to start sending these to your friends. Because if you don't do that, what's the point of me doing this? I'm making this content for what? You? Send it to your friends. If your friends are sports fans, send it to them. You'll They'll like it too, I promise you. Thank you so much for listening. Please continue to like, share, and subscribe. All that good stuff. Peace out.